Welcome to the King's Cast, dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. I'd like to welcome everyone listening to us on iTunes and with the King's Cast. Thanks for downloading me. In Luke chapter 1, Luke begins a theme of his, of his teaching. And uh, you know, don't you, you've heard enough preachers to know that certain preachers have favorite topics. Luke has many favorite topics. One of his favorite topics is the infilling of the Holy Spirit. He loves that. He loves the thought of that. He likes to write about that and record that. And in Luke chapter 1, he begins that theme, which is what I want to talk a little bit about today. First of all, he mentions the infilling of the Holy Spirit in the life of John the Baptist. Verse 13 of Luke 1, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to give him the name John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He's never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. And now just move forward, still the same chapter, but about verse 40 or 41. Mary goes to see uh, Elizabeth, and verse 41, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt or leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And in in a loud voice, she exclaimed and began to speak. And then verse 67, uh, John the Baptist is uh, born here, and then Verse 67, his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. And then go a couple of books to the book of Acts, chapter 2. Acts, chapter 2. Very well-known passage, or certainly used to be. Uh, When the day of Pentecost came, They were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Okay. There's a little phrase that has come into, uh, uh, what should we call it? Christianese. Do you know what Christianese is? It's the language of Christians. You know, Christians have uh, a certain kind of language, don't they? You go to work and you say, oh, it was a great Sunday. God really moved. And someone says, where did he move to? Uh, uh, Things like that. A language that we kind of speak. And um, 
I was sitting on a train, uh, well, if, uh, probably a few years ago now, and I heard a couple of Australians talking at the, on the other side of the train. And I heard him say, oh, it was wonderful. He was gloriously saved. I thought, they sound like Christians, you know, Christian speak. One of the little phrases that comes into Christianese, which we're all uh, most likely aware of, is this phrase, spirit-filled. So, uh, for example, someone will say, uh, oh, um, there's a new vicar at St. Peter's. And, uh, and someone says, oh, is he good? And they say, oh, yes. He's spirit-filled. Yeah, he's a spirit-filled vicar. Uh, or uh, someone will say, oh, there's this... Uh, you know, Bible college someplace, and, uh, oh, is it a good Bible college? Well, yeah, oh, it's a good one. It's a spirit, you know, the principle is spirit-filled, or some such thing as that. And um, what I want to ask as we open this up this morning is, what does that actually mean? What does that really mean, that someone is spirit-filled? Now, I know what I think we think it means, but what I want to do today is talk about what really it ought to really mean. At the beginning of the 20th century, God began a great revival in the world. You probably know that, but God began a great revival in the world that still, in a sense, exists today. The great revival that God began in the 20th century, by far the longest revival that's ever really taken place, was arguably, anyway, the Pentecostal revival. The the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in Los Angeles, in Azusa Street, the mission hut there. (coughs) <coughs> excuse me, and in um, uh, All Saints Parish Church in Sunderland, England, just um, north of here, well, a few, few hundred miles north of here, where uh, meetings were sort of taken over by the breath of God and where uh, particularly a new phenomena, i.e. an old phenomena that had come back, but a new phenomena for the contemporary world of people uh, having experiences with God which invariably led to them speaking in tongues and prophesying. And uh, this happened in these meetings. People had experiences with God and uh, some of them physical, others emotional, but, 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 but very much people receiving what we now call the baptism of the Holy Spirit where people began to speak in tongues as a result of having an experience with God. And people spoke of these people as the Pentecostals because they were like people who'd had the experience that the people on the day of Pentecost had had. And um, such uh, a revival is in a sense still going on today. It's the existence of churches like this and many, many others. By the way, if you think that speaking in tongues is weird, let me tell you that there are half a billion people in the world attending Pentecostal churches this morning. Half a billion weird people in the world. That's a lot. So when you might think, oh, it's a bit strange, half a billion people either speak in tongues or go to a church where someone next to them might speak in tongues. That's quite a lot of people. So we're actually not quite as weird as maybe we thought. Or weirder, anyway, whatever, however you like to see it. But this has given a rise to this phrase, a spirit-filled church or a spirit-filled believer or a spirit-filled pastor or something like that. And what we normally mean today by a spirit-filled leader or a spirit-filled Christian is often someone who has had some experience, like I've just explained, they speak in tongues or they 
prophesy or they go to a church where these things happen or people fall on the floor or they have dreams or experiences like that. And uh, can I say that we so desperately, 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 desperately need to be spirit-filled. We so desperately need to be spirit-filled. There are, of course, people who suggest that these experiences have now passed away. There aren't so many of these people anymore, but there used to be a lot of them. And that's why, by the way, if you read church history books, you won't find Pentecostal history recorded in church history because we were considered a bit strange, and so we weren't really written about. It's very, very interesting, actually, to study that out and find that when you look at a history manual, where's the Pentecostal? Well, they're not, they're not, they're not really there. And... Uh, because it wasn't so accepted. So some people felt that these things had passed away, but we understand, no, they never did pass away. They just fell out of use, but they were always available. And now God, in the last hundred years, has graciously poured out His Spirit. And we need to know the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. I often think of gifts of the Spirit as a bit like the pieces that are left over for when you put together a bit of Ikea furniture. Now, just just stay with me here. One of the great memories of my marriage, the early days of my marriage, was as soon as we got married, suddenly we needed to have furniture. I don't know why, but we needed to have, I mean, we had the telly in the bed. Why do we need a cupboard? But apparently we did. And so uh, Jane is a great lover of Ikea. And so we were regularly going to Ikea. I went for the meatballs, but Jane went for the other bits. And we'd come home with a car full of paintings and bits and boxes of stuff. And um, there's one classic moment. It won't transfer very funny today, but it was the funniest thing that ever happened to me in my whole life, which was we went and bought, what did we want to buy? We wanted to buy a shoe rack. And so we bought this shoe rack for our shoes. And, uh, well, why else would you buy a shoe rack? We bought a shoe rack for our CDs. No, we bought it for our shoes. And, uh, we, and Jane is, by the way, brilliant at building things. You want to, if you need anything building, hire her out. And uh, we'll charge you. It's not free. But, uh, but she's building stuff and I'm handing her things. And uh, after, so I need to say this, after building all day, all day stuff, we finally got to the shoe rack. And we, we built the shoe, it is funny, uh, honestly. Uh, we, we built the shoe rack, and it took, I don't know, 20 minutes, and we finally finished the shoe rack to discover it was, in fact, a coat rack <laughs> that you put on the wall for your coats. And on the all honesty, we did not realize this until the final screw had gone in. When <laughs> Jane suddenly said, what is this? <laughs> and it was, in fact, a coat rack and what do we do with it we put it under the stairs and we put the shoes on it yes we did where is it now did we throw it away oh, that's a shame I could have brought it out as a sermon illustration and sold it probably you made it very well love and then we put our shoes on it for a long time that, that uh, coat rack but have you ever done a bit of Ikea where you you trying to put the thing together and you have finished it. You know, you're feeling good. I have, I have built a table. 
I, I, I have the carpentry skills of Jesus. I have built a table. Look at this. Why, why am I bothering to go into work? I could build tables. But after you finish the table, you look around, and it's finished. But you look in the bag, and there's a bit of wood, a round piece of plastic, a black piece, a ball, and eight screws. And you look at the table, and you oh dear. Because you know that if Ikea, <laughs> they don't give me nothing away. <laughs> so you know that you must need that on that. Now, you've built it without that. But you know that if they put that stuff in the bag, not, but, uh, of course, forgetting that you paid for all this, you know that you must need it. But somehow... You built the table or the whatever without all the equipment. And I take you immediately to the modern church that has been built and it's fine. And it looks fine. People are coming in. The lights are on. But we look in the bag and here are the gifts of the Holy Spirit that we ain't using. And we think, well, we, maybe we don't need them. Look at it. It's fine, just the way it is. We don't, we, uh, we, we don't need any of these prophets. Uh, and these tongue speakers, they are particularly weird people. So we don't want them. And healing, that's controversial because some people don't get healed. So we better hush up about that. And we end up with a bag of bits called spiritual phenomena or spiritual power. We think, you know... It just seems to me we don't really need this because look what we've built. I want to tell you, it's not going to work. And if God has put the gifts of the Spirit in the church, we must need them. Otherwise, they wouldn't be in the bag. Anyway, that's a topic for another time. So we do need the power of the Spirit. We need the power of the Spirit. We need the genuine power of of the Spirit. Otherwise, we're not going to grow and we're not going to develop and we're not going to mature, not quite the way that we should. So I want to say to you, because some people find experiencing the Holy Spirit quite difficult and they've not had such an experience and I want to sympathize with you. I want to sympathize with you if you have not yet received the baptism of the Spirit and spoken in tongues and things. I want to sympathize with you. I'm not wanting to bash you on the head at all. Because I know it's your desire. But I want to say to you again, don't let that desire go because you've not yet received. The Bible says we should earnestly desire the gifts of the Spirit. And the truth is, actually, it's, it's, not, having, it's not a criticism of anyone because it could be just as much a criticism of me. Actually, we end up earnestly desiring a better house, uh, a better MacBook, uh, a better car, you know, a better phone. And, you know, maybe all these things are good, but we should earnestly desire the gifts of the Spirit. When I was at college, uh, it was in the days when, and now this is going to date me now, but when computers were new. I remember going into a student's bedroom, and he had something called a 
Windows computer. Wow, looks a whole lot better than my Alan Sugar rubbish that I had in my uh, room. And it was amazing. And people were after this. And I remember the, the principal stood up in front of the college. And he said, the Bible says, earnestly desire the gifts of the Spirit. He said, but many of you are just earnestly desiring a Windows computer. And the way he said it gave me the impression he didn't even know what a Windows computer was. <laughs> it's a bit like when the, when the Queen says, I've been surfing the web this week. And you think, you don't know what you're talking about, Your Majesty. You've never gone near it. God bless her. Yeah. We need to earnestly desire these things. So if God has given something, we must need it. If God gives the anointing, we must need it. And, and I must need it. You must need it. So we should seek it. Now that's not my message. When I... Um, when I came to Christ and I discovered these things, here was a problem that I had. And maybe it's a problem that you've got too. I discovered that there were people who had uh, received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And in the meetings that I was attending, they could stand up and deliver prophecies or speak in tongues and things like this. But here was a burning difficulty I had with it all. Some of these people weren't very nice. <laughs> I didn't understand that. There were people who could get up in a meeting and I could all get amazing. But they're having a fight in the foyer at the end with somebody. In one of the churches I was at, and there's no one listening to me now who will even remotely know who any of these people are. One man who regularly spoke in tongues at the meeting got so cross in the foyer of the church that he gripped another man by the throat and pinned him against the wall. And I had a problem because I thought, is this man spirit-filled? Because that looked a bit odd to me. I also knew that... Uh, these people who sometimes were able to have dreams or visions or stuff like this, uh, they could split churches. They could form faction groups in the church and take on the pastor in the name of the Lord or something like that and create all sorts of problems. And here's something else I found out. Or here's something else that I experienced. If ever you said, let's go and clean someone's house, or let's go and clean the yard, or let's go and do some shopping for someone, sometimes it wasn't always the tongues people who showed up to do that. 
It was the other people who hadn't had these experiences and they seemed to be uh, showing the fruit of the Spirit in their lives without having had some miraculous experience. Do you understand what I'm saying? Now, by the way, there are plenty of people who uh, don't uh, have these experiences who also cause trouble in churches. And there are plenty of people who have had the baptism of the Spirit who show up and help with shopping. What I'm saying is it didn't quite equate that the people who'd had the experiences were necessarily more spiritual than the other people. I remember talking to a pastor in somewhere near here. And uh, we were having a meeting. And at the meeting, lots of people were being touched by God in extraordinary ways. And they were crying out to him and, re- and genuinely receiving his power and being touched. And it, it was real. I'm not suggesting it wasn't real. But he said to me, he said, it's funny. He said, these people who are having this wonderful Pentecost here tonight, he said, next week we're going to go and do some community work and they're not going to come. But if you put on another Pentecost night, they all came. So he was aware of the, of the tension of this. So I want to take, and I'm, I'm already sort of running out of time, but I want to take a few minutes just to unpack what does it really mean to be spirit-filled? Having said, always said about the necessity for there to be the anointing in the church, in the body of Christ, the necessity of, of the power of the Spirit on our lives and the accompanying spiritual gifts. These are not incidental. They must be vital. If God thinks we need them, then we must need them. Irrespective of what you might think. But what does it really mean to be Spirit-filled? Now, let me do something quickly here. One of the ways to know One of the beginnings, if you were going to explore this, let me do a little bit of Bible study with you for a minute. Is that okay? Is that okay? It's too bad if it isn't really. One of the the ways to know, what, what does Luke mean when he says that Zechariah was filled with the Spirit? What does that mean? What does it actually mean? And one of the ways to know is to look at the way he uses the phrase in in his writings. So we're just going to look at Acts just for the sake of time. But for example, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Filled with awe. Another one, when the man, the the lame man was was healed at the gate. Uh, This very famous story in Acts chapter 3. It says, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Mm. So what does filled mean there in those instances? It means that temporarily the predominant emotional experience those people had was awe, or wonder and amazement. When you looked in their face, you saw something different about them. Shock, you know, amazement. Here's what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that when they saw this 
these miracles, it doesn't mean that they were filled with awe like you might take a bottle of water and fill up a glass. You, do you see that? It doesn't mean glug, 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 you know, filling up, like filling up with petrol, filling up with water. It means that in an instant, they were taken over by this particular characteristic. Uh, maybe a few more will help you understand. The high priest and all of his associates, who were members of the party of the, of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. Well, again, it doesn't mean... Do, 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 do. You know, they didn't fill up. Hang on a moment, lads. Let's go in the corner here and pray for each other to be filled with jealousy. More, Lord. No, rather, they were suddenly filled. It was the, it was the dominant part of their personality, at least for a temporary time. It dominated their personality and determined their behavior. Can you say that with me? It dominated, say it, their personality and determined their behavior. That's what happened. And there's others. When the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy. It means that jealousy dominated their personality and it determined their behavior. Another one. Some nice ones here. The disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Well, I believe in holy joy. And I believe that God can make people laugh and be full of joy and uh, be uncontrollably, ecstatically moved by God. We've experienced that many times. But here, it probably doesn't mean that. It probably doesn't mean they laughed. It just probably means that they were just... It probably means they were filled with joy. That joy dominated their personality and determined their behavior. If ever you wanted to borrow five shekels from a disciple, Acts 13.52 was the time to do it. Because they were full of joy. And then Acts 16, this jailer, you know, they Paul and Silas worship God, the chains fall off, the walls fall down, and the man comes to Christ, and it says here, he brought them into his house, said a meal before them, And he was filled with joy because he'd come to believe in God. Not, he he didn't, I'm feeling full, I'm feeling, I'm getting fuller, I'm fuller, I'm fuller. It means that in an instant, now of course you can have an experience. But in these instances, it means that, it means that joy dominated his personality and determined his behavior. He was so full of joy, you see, he set a meal before them. So he wasn't just in the corner going, it's marvelous, isn't it? The joy made him go do something, fix a meal for them. Here's not such a nice one. Acts 5 verse 3, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart? You know the guys who told a lie about an offering. Don't do that. But they told a lie about how much money they'd given. And so Luke, you know, we're looking at how Luke uses the word. How is it that Satan has so filled your heart? He doesn't mean that his heart was... He means that Satan had dominated his personality and was determining their behavior. So, 
in conclusion to this, what can we work out? We work out that it doesn't normally mean to be topped up. It means that the person has been overwhelmed and controlled by that which fills them. So, to be full of the Spirit means that the Spirit is dominating our personality and determining our behavior. Now that doesn't uh, take away the miraculous element of being filled with God and speaking in other tongues and prophesying. These things are well believed in this church. And we need them. But when you look at the broader picture, can you see that when the guy who gave a message in tongues in the meeting picked up the deacon and thrust him against the wall, if at that point you'd run up to him and gone, I'm just doing a questionnaire, are you spirit-filled? The answer would be, no! No. Irrespective of his ability to speak in tongues or give a prophecy, he was not spirit-filled. At least not at that moment. So when we say, oh, they've got a new spirit-filled vicar over at St. Peter's. Well, it would be, that's wonderful if we mean he uses the gifts of the Spirit. That's great. But here's the big, maybe the bigger question. Are we spirit-filled? Because to be spirit-filled means that the Spirit himself, not a power, not a force, not a feeling, although he is forceful and powerful and he does great feelings, but the Spirit himself is determining my behavior. The Spirit himself is dominating my personality. And then if I have to fill out a form that says, am I a spirit-filled believer? Suddenly for me, that maybe that means more than just, did I speak in tongues in 1989? Or have I ever had a dream? I'll tell you, I have some crazy dreams. Is the Holy Spirit determining my behavior. If he is, I'm a spirit-filled man. Is the Holy Spirit dominating your personality? He's not going to take away your personality. But is he determining how you behave? And is he dominating you? If that is the case, you are a spirit-filled person. Now, here's a Bible illustration just to finish. And as you know, if you've been here for long enough, just to finish, it's just really a comforting phrase. Here's a Bible illustration. A Bible illustration, we can use a, a natural one. one that I could think of, but here's a Bible illustration. There's a couple of times, and we mustn't overdo this, 
But there's a couple of times in the Bible, not to be overdone, where being full of the Spirit is sort of compared to being drunk. And this might help us just for a moment. You find them in uh, Acts 2, 13, you know, the people are preaching and they come up to them and say, ah, these men are full of new wine, you know, they are drunk. And then in uh, Ephesians chapter 5, in fact, let's turn there, let's go to Ephesians 5, because we'll be there a little bit longer than just for this. Ephesians chapter 5, this strange uh, comparison between being full of the Spirit and being drunk is used by the Apostle. Verse 18, Ephesians 5.18 says, Do not get drunk on wine. By the way, we ought to put a bracket in there, or anything else. If I go, well, I, I've had, you know, I've had some cider. It's not, it's, not, it's not in the Bible about cider, just wine. Don't get drunk. Can you say Amen. <laughs> don't get drunk on wine which leads to debauchery instead be filled with the spirit so using this bible illustration uh, how do you know when someone's drunk how do you know how do you know when someone's drunk well here are just three things that seem to affect people when they're drunk. And uh, maybe they'll help us to understand what it means to have our behavior being determined by the Holy Spirit and by our personality being dominated by Him. First of all, the way they talk. <laughs> I love you, I do. <laughs> I remember one time... I, when I worked in Torquay, I had some wonderful work colleagues, and I really like them. It's good to like your work colleagues. It is good. I really like them. And they said, you know what we're doing Saturday night? We're going on a boat trip across the bay. It's only however much it was. Why don't you come? I thought, that's great. Boat trip across the bay. It's nice. And uh, I wore a big jumper, you know, I had my armbands on underneath. <laughs> and I had big arms anyway, no one knew. <coughs> so we get on the boat and we go across the bay. It was fabulous for the first 20 minutes. After about half an hour, they'd been knocking back the old whatever. And I was, you know, a teetotal, didn't touch it. Sitting there, happy, looking at the... I thought we are going to look at the water. A bit, bit naive, me. I thought we'd gone on a boat to go look at the water. They hadn't. They'd gone there because the bar was free or something like that. And it was cheap beers. I don't know. And within half an hour, all my friends were different. And we, I was on that boat for two and a half hours. And by the end of the trip, I was completely lonely. 
I didn't know who any of them were at all. I didn't. They were changed. I really liked these people and now I didn't know who they were. There's only one thing I knew about them and that was this, that they all really loved me. Another time they invited me to a, um, one of their parties and I went along. I tried to be an evangelist, you know. But it's a bit tough to be an evangelist when they're all doing this. And one time, now Jane shouldn't hear this, but she already knows it. One time this girl pulled me into a room. Oh, you all woke up then. <laughs> and uh, she said, will you marry me? Now, you know, I pretended I didn't know what she meant. Like, oh, you want me to be officiate at your wedding? I want you to marry me. I love you. Now, her boyfriend was in the other room. So I said, well, what, what, what does he think about this? You notice I didn't say no. <laughs> he said, oh, he's just boring. He just watches television. I said, well, I, 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 she's got her arm around me. I said, well, I, I, I quite like to watch television. (laughs) I'm a friend on Facebook now. That's funny, isn't it? Anyway, now the, you know people are drunk the way they talk. And you know the Holy Spirit's determining your behavior by the things that come out of your mouth. The Bible says this, Jesus taught this in Matthew's gospel. He said this, out of the overflow of the heart, what? The mouth Speaks. It's quite scary that you've never said anything that wasn't in your heart. It had to be in your heart to come out of your mouth. Right? And so we know what's in someone's heart. You just have to listen to them. You don't need to hypnotize them. You don't need to, you know, put a secret camera on them. Although I have got the equipment if you need it. You don't need to do that. You just have to listen to people. If you listen to people, you know what's in their heart. Because it comes out their mouth. Jesus said that out of a wicked heart comes wicked things. Out of a good heart comes good things. So how do we know we're full of the Spirit? Well, of course, when the Spirit came on the people in the book of Acts... Invariably, they spoke, actually, in tongues and prophesied and things like this. And I believe in that. But listen, there's a bit more to it than that. In fact, even the Pentecostal creed, which says that the baptism of the Spirit should be received with the initial evidence of speaking in tongues, suggests there should be further evidence. So I believe in initial evidence, but let's have a bit... Let's have a bit more evidence a bit later on. The fruit of the Spirit, if you like. 
When the spirit dominates our personality, we don't talk the way we used to talk. So you clean up your mouth. You clean up the way you talk about people. I told you earlier, people who speak in tongues, some of them have split churches down the middle. With just malicious talk and gossip and, and just trash coming out of their mouth. Lord, have mercy on them. Lord, have mercy on them. No, when we're full of the Spirit, we talk the way the Spirit talks. And that's not just yabba-dabba-do. You know. I'll have a shandy. No, we, we, we talk the way he talks. So we talk faith. And we talk hope. And we talk optimistically. We speak the way he speaks. Secondly, nothing too surprising about this. The Apostle Paul, you know, picks up the thought. And you're in Ephesians 5, aren't you? Be full of the Spirit, verse 18. And then verse 19. Speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. If you're full of the Spirit, it's going to change the way you talk. Number two, the way people walk. Now, I know we could all go home now and put into YouTube, drunk man walks. (laughs) You know. And I wouldn't dream of doing that. But if you want to know where some really good ones are, email me, I'll tell you. The way people walk is different when they're drunk. Well, without saying too much to explain that, I think we all understand that, that if we're full of the Spirit, it's going to change the places where we go. There's certain places you're not going to go anymore if you're full of the Spirit. There are certain people you're not going to connect with if you're full of the Spirit. You're not going to go and be with them. It's going to change the way you walk. Uh, The first epistle of John, of course, records that we should walk in the light. Paul says in Galatians that we should walk in the Spirit. And if we walk in the Spirit, we won't fulfill the lusts of the flesh. What happened when the Holy Spirit came upon them in Acts? They left home. They went to other countries and preached. If you really are full of the Spirit, you're going to go someplace. Now, it might not mean getting on an airplane, but it might. But if you're really full of the Spirit, you leave town, you see. That's what you do. You leave town. Or you leave your upper room and you go and preach to someplace, you know, someone. It, it changes the way you walk. So that relates to people you connect with, places where you go, certain places you shouldn't go, certain things you shouldn't be involved with, certain conversations you shouldn't have. It's going to clean up your mouth. It's going to clean up your feet. When the Spirit came upon them, they left town. The Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. Jesus said, and you're going to be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. The the coming of the Holy Spirit caused them to pack their bag and go somewhere and do something for God. 
A spirit-filled person will do the same. And finally, the way they smell. Now, I really wish this had rhymed with orc, but it just didn't. I tried lots of ways, but you know I've got better things to do. The way they smell. You know if someone's drunk, when they start talking to you, someone comes up to you and goes, you know what, I used to be an alcoholic, but, but I'm not now. And as they say, now, a breath of air comes through you and you'd fail a, you know, you'd fail a drink and drive test on the way home now. He's just breathed at you. Wow. I'm not so sure you are dry, sir or madam, because the way you smell tells me you are drunk. What does the Bible say? It says that we should be the aroma of Christ. In uh, 2 Corinthians in chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, be the aroma of Christ. I have occasionally been to places where maybe the places smelt a bit, and afterwards I just want to wash my hands. You ever done that? Because I. You know, <laughs> Go to a place that's a bit smelly for some reason, and you just want to, you just want to wash your hands. Sometimes I, I just want to get in the shower, even. You know, come in, take my shoes off, put them on the coat rack, I get straight in the shower, I get, I get ready. Odors linger. Can you say Amen? Yeah, I'm afraid. I'm, I'm afraid they do. Odors linger. Sometimes I've been with people and you have a conversation with them and listen, just give me one more minute of your time today because it's quite important. You can go away from those experiences. Sometimes I've wanted to go home and have a shower because I felt I've been with someone who was so negative or, you know, I'm not, just, I'm not talking about someone going through a hard time. I'm not talking about someone going through depression or these sorts of things. I'm talking about someone who is bent on pessimism or criticism, and the Bible is not sympathetic to these people. The Bible is sympathetic to the brokenhearted, but it is not sympathetic to those who will not bridle their tongue. And so neither then am I. And sometimes I'll be with people, I remember, and I better not say too much, but I remember going on a journey with someone, and so I was kind of stuck on this journey with them, all day. And by the end of the day, now I'm going to say something here that is, it is extreme, but it's really how I felt. I felt at the end of the day that I had had a day with the devil. I came home depressed, distressed, gloomy. I thought, I never want to see that person again. Now I need to tell you, this person is a spirit-filled pastor. But I'm not sure how spirit-filled he really is. So sometimes you can be with people and the way they smell tells you what's really dominating them. The odor, the impression that's left on you. I went to see a guy, he did a fabulous children's work. And I thought, this is going to be amazing. One of the best children's work in the UK. So we went to see this guy and what he did. And he walked in. 
And he was about 75 years old. I was expecting someone to run out, you know, with a baseball cap the wrong way round. Hello, kids! And in he comes, you know, he looks like Master Yoda. He's on a stick, you know, hello. As, as old as you like. And everyone's thinking, does not compute. How come he's got a big kids ministry? He's 75 years old. So someone asked him, what's the secret? He said, well, I just try and be like Jesus. Oh, right. Is that it? That's it? No baseball cap? No. I tried to buy one of those baseball caps the wrong way around. You can't get them anywhere. I'll give you a minute on that. When we're full of the Spirit, you see, we're like Jesus, and it's a pleasure to be with us. So I want to ask you today, Alan, come and help me a minute, will you? Come and help me. Not forsaking, not neglecting the sense of wanting to have spiritual power in our lives, gifts of the Spirit, all these things I think are important. They are in the bag, so we must need them for the construction of the work. But let's remember that glorious fruit of the Spirit as well. Can you say amen? That says, you know, I want to, I want the Holy Spirit to dominate my personality. Not, not to take over my personality. But to change me so I'm more like Him. And to determine my behavior. I want to commend this message to you today and say that is what I believe. It's what being spirit-filled should really mean. Thank you for listening and we trust that the Word of God has inspired you today. For further information about King's Church or to access our large archive of other recordings, go to www.kingscambridge.org. If you're listening on iTunes, we would love you to leave us some feedback. God bless and goodbye.